There's no excuse for inaction at this point. I want every agency to lean forward. So I'm excited just to be back introducing people to new music. Yep. Stuff that I'm passionate about. Talking about old stuff that right. maybe has been overlooked over the years. Just lean. He's from Saskatchewan. Yeah, Saskatchewan. Right? Am I saying that right? Am I, am I, how do you say it? For every degree that you lean forward is that much more pounds of force. Hey, anybody who's been listening to us, thank you. What I want to explain to you is a little bit something that I've figured out about leaning forward. When somebody says, like, talk to my people, I'm the people. Come on, I lean forward, forward, forward. Are you, are you I hate that, Legitimately. Man. I, I, I legitimately can't get into it. Lean forward, lean forward, lean forward. I don't hate her, but I was just surprised. Do, go on, go you on. You rolled your eyes the minute I said it. <laughs> it's so weird, because she's right here. right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Lean Forward Podcast with Jay Heron and Jacob Gilmore. I am Jay Heron. What up, Jay? What's happening, Jacob? That's Jacob Gilmore, folks. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, hey, before we dig too deep into today's topic, I wanted yep. to just say that uh, since our last recording, you have added to your family. That's right. That's right. I guess that should have been more top of mind. Uh, yeah, we welcomed our fourth child. <laughs> into Jacob, the you have fold. four kids. I know. Four kids. I know. That's, that's a lot of kids. I know. Sooner or later, we're going to figure out why that keeps happening. <laughs> I got a couple books I can throw your way if you want. Please, please, do, <laughs> if you want to know please more do. about that. Yeah, we welcomed uh, our fourth child, our third son, uh, on July thirty first of this that's year. That's awesome. So, and that's, I mean, quite frankly, like if you've been sticking around and listening to us, uh, please forgive the the delay in our <laughs> since our last episode between having yeah. another child and a lot of travel. For both Jay and I, uh, it's been it's been difficult to get this this next one on the books. But stick with us; we're uh, we're not going anywhere. We're going to keep pumping these out. But, we have um, the best intentions. We have good intentions of doing this at least once a month, if not more. And then it always ends up being like, oh, two months have gone by and we still haven't done. <laughs> it's crazy. That's right. But we will get better at it. Um, yeah. Anything anything new to report on your end? Given the nature of when this will probably air. no nothing yet i can't speak of anything yet other than um i'm still i'm still vegan since our last episode oh that's good that's good yeah yeah Um, how about you how's your health man oh it's good uh you know what's funny i guess i guess this is both a testament to how long it's been since we did our last episode and um the actual like changes that i've made but i've lost 20 pounds since what? our Lee episode yeah really yeah i swear to god that's a big deal man congratulations i know, I know. now i've got 20 to... more 20 more to go and then so on our next episode i'll probably be at my target weight <laughs> you'll be <laughs> well I, when you have when you when you have extra children you're typically you gain weight you know cuz you're just like but uh but it sounds like you're on the right path man that's amazing yeah, well, they say stress really helps weight loss, so, you know. <laughs> That's true. All right. <laughs> well, hey, do you want to kind of um, enter into what we're going to discuss this week? Uh, I do, but before we do, I wanted to bring up kind of a, a podcast favorite topic. Um, so those of you who have listened to our episodes before may remember an episode that we had with Mark Menchaca from Ozark. Uh, and, uh, Ozark season two just dropped on Netflix and I'm only, I'm probably four episodes in and it is incredible. 
the show is good, and it's it's known for the music just as well as it is for how well the show. Like the the show does a really good job of picking good songs to integrate. Mm. Um, but the trailer for this this season had an incredible cover of "The Man Who Sold the World" by David Bowie. Have you heard this? I've heard it. Um, so first of all, I have not seen season two yet. I'm dying to. I'm trying to slog through billions. Um, we're about to finish that. We're way behind on that. We're about to finish that, and I'm going to just tackle Ozark all at once. Um, but you mentioned the, the the music in the trailer to Ozark, so of course I went back and listened to that, and you're right. It is unbelievable. And I have no idea who's singing it. I cannot find information on who's singing this cover of The Man Who Sold the World. Do you have any idea? I do. And So are you serious? You don't know who's singing it? No. I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. All right, so check this out. Uh, I Same. Like, I looked everywhere. I looked on... Uh, like threads I looked on forums like who is singing this song and I think they they uh they like it's not on any official soundtrack or anything because I don't I don't know if they can release the song I don't know if they've done the full song okay. but but I do know who sings it who are you ready yeah yeah yes I'm ready Mark Menchaca no swear to god are you being... Th- I swear to God. That's actually really incredible. And I'm so, so those listening, again, Mark Manchaka was our guest a year ago when Ozark first came out, and he's, he plays the role of Russ Langmore in the show, and it's an incredible role. Um, and then when he was on, remember, we were like, are you going to be... We, we gave some spoiler alerts, and we said what happened to him at the end of that season and asked if he was going to be back, and he wasn't sure at the time. And even, don't tell me if he's back or not, but even if he's not, the how fact cool that he's is singing that song, are you kidding me? And how good is it? It's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. It's I'm, so I'm good. I'm texting him immediately after this <laughs> recording yeah. to hit. That's great, man. Oh how did you find God. that out? Uh, I just did a little bit of digging. Just a little bit of digging and it just showed up? <laughs> what, oh, did you ask Mark point blank? Uh, no, I don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. That's very, very mysterious. I'll, uh, I won't, I won't prod. Um, um, but we are talking, we are talking about this off mic for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. Wow, that's really great because here's the thing, it is such a good cover. Like it's hard oh, to top it's Nirvana's so cover. It's Nirvana's so cover was is a classic. It's ama- it's as it's as popular as David Bowie's in my mind, you know, and as good it's a strong cover. Yeah, for and, sure. And for this to for for this one to come out and be as good as it is and then for it to be Mark Menchaca, that's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. He like they need to release it. They need to release the song on some type of like official show soundtrack uh, because it is a beautiful cover. It really is. Okay. Well, um, I'm so pumped about this right now. Yeah. I've got so many, I've got so many questions. Okay. Shout out to Mark. Uh, Definitely watch this show. It's on Netflix, Ozark, Jason Bateman. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Can't wait. Right on. That's great. That's exciting. Cool. For, For sure. Okay, uh, so what are we talking about today? We So our last episode, we had Amy Lee on, and she was awesome. And basically, the reason that we had Amy Lee on was because originally we were just going to talk about, and you had, let me back up, two episodes ago, 
you gave me the assignment of checking out uh, a couple of U2 albums. U2 is one of your favorite bands of all time. Yeah. And uh, I did. I listened to two of them. I took notes. We talked about them and gave you my thoughts, and we had a great conversation about it. So yeah. to, to serve that back up to you, I gave you one of my favorite albums of all time by one of my favorite bands of all time, Nine Inch Nails. Correct. And it's a double-disc album, and it was too much for you. It's so, a lot of music. It's a lot of music. It's a lot of music that you didn't like. Uh, so, <laughs> so we brought Amy on because Amy also loves that band and that album. We had a great conversation. Check out last uh, our last episode. Uh, Amy brought brought some awesome insights into why that was just as important to her as it was to me. Um, so definitely check it. But Jay just you know he kind of hung out and you know listened, chimed in. So so. Jay, this is like a bit of a makeup call for Jay, and Jay is reviewing an album, uh, but this is more of like a punishment album. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure is. So sure is. Before before I mention the name of the band and the album, I just want to give a little bit of context. Um, yeah, not everybody was fortunate enough to be 15 years old when like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles uh, were hitting the scene or Michael Jackson, or, you know, any, any one of just these iconic, pivotal artists. Um, I was 15 at a really weird era of time. In 1999, I was 15 years old. And so that was, you know, yeah. that, was, that was a weird time for music, particularly uh, rock music, which is, was my favorite music at the time. And yeah. so <laughs> we're, we're going to get here. In 1999... Uh, Ozfest was a rock festival that was touring the country with Black Sabbath, uh, all these you know kind of iconic rock bands, and then these up and comers at the time that were not necessarily your classic rock Black Sabbath sounding band. They were like this new metal, <laughs> new as with like an NU, right? yeah, with like the the you know what do you call that German U, yeah. I, I don't know, but I know what you mean. Everybody knows that, yeah. It was this weird, uh, you know, fusion of metal and rap and all this weird stuff. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really exposed to it at the time. Ozfest comes through, and I went to see the Deftones. The Deftones were on on the uh, on the tour. They were mm-hmm. they were on the main stage, and there was a lot of great acts for me at the time. On yeah. the main stage. Let me just give you a, a quick lineup of, of Ozfest 1999. I'm Bla- bracing myself. Black Sabbath, Rob yeah. Zombie, and I was a huge White Zombie fan, so Rob Zombie yeah. was, was great. The Deftones, yeah. and that was basically it for me. But also okay. on the main stage was Slayer. Okay. Primus featuring Buckethead. Oof. System of a Down. Oof. And, and Godsmack. That was the Oof. main stage. That was the okay. main stage. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Um, But so ironically, that was also the first time I was just, I was introduced to Primus and Buckethead. Uh, but more importantly, System of Down was like, this is, this band is crazy. Who is this? Yeah. Yeah. But, but the second stage was where the secret sauce was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now I'm going, now I'm going to listen to the, now I'm going to list off the, the second stage. And by the way, just keep in mind the, for the context for me, at 15 years old going to this, I had to have a chaperone. And my chaperone was my dad walking <laughs> yeah. around with his tucked-in denim shirt at Osmus. <laughs> so, so here's Sweet. the second stage. 
This is the first time I'm seeing bands like this. Fear Factory, Slipknot, Flashpoint, Push Monkey, Drain STH, which is this Swedish like uh, girl band that was actually pretty dope at the time. Apartment 26, Puya, and Static X. But wow. the, the band that changed everything. And by the way, Static X, Wisconsin Death Trip, I was like all in on that too. But <laughs> the band that changed everything for me, a 15-year-old Jacob Gilmore, a little pudgy, long-haired, trying to figure himself out, yeah. was, was a band from Orange County, California, Head P.E. Yeah, yeah, I remember Head P.E. <laughs> so their debut album came out in 97, but they were touring on the second stage of OzFest. So clearly, like, their their album wasn't a hit. This is two years in circulation, and they're, they're still trying to be on the come up here. Yeah. Uh, but because it was the second stage, I could get right up front, and when they play, they just blew me away. So I immediately bought their cassette tape, mm. uh, and I played that thing until the wheels fell off. So just to give a little bit of background context, Head P.E. is is fronted by uh, Jared Gnomes, a.k.a. MCUD, a.k.a. MC Underdog. (laughs) 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 And Head P.E. is this perfect blend of metal, punk, uh, hip-hop, or gangster rap, and reggae. It's just like, it's like if you go to Applebee's and you get like, an Italian dish that's like, uh, you know, <laughs> Asian inspired that's comes with enchiladas. <laughs> like it's just all over the place. <laughs> right. But it just happened to be all my favorite foods. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, the best way to describe, well, I've, I think I've given enough context. So your assignment this week has been to listen to their debut album, self-titled Head P.E. Originally, Head planetary evolution later changed to head planet Earth. Jay, give me the thoughts. Man, uh, I'm so I, I need to tell you, and, and those of you, those people who are listening who might be your first time just kind of jumping in on this podcast, you have to know just how um, how opposite I am to every single band mentioned on the Ozfest 1999. Like. That, that is the exact opposite of my musical tastes. And so I just want to state that because know that going into my review and my experience listening to Head P.E.'s self-titled <laughs> 1997 debut album. Um, I did listen to it front to back, every single song, every single word, including, mm. the, hit, including the hidden track. There is a hidden track. Did yep. you know this? Yep. Yeah, because okay. I have the tape. Okay, great. Um, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I did not like it at all, but I have some thoughts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so if you want to jump in, you just tell me what you want to talk about and I'll, and I'll get in. I have copious amounts of notes. Um, you know, well, it's, thank you for taking notes. Thank you for taking notes. I the, did. Did you, did you know that it's this, this, that, that album came out the same year that Limp Biscuits debut came out? $3 bill. Uh, of course I knew that because I okay. loved Limp Bizkit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and their debut album is my favorite of that band, <laughs> like by far. Um, wow. Same same with Head B.E.'s debut album. So let me just give a couple, uh, just a few more little colorful notes about okay. um, me listening to this band for the first time and just falling in love with it. For one, 
it was a new sound to me, even if it was two years after the fact. And I just like this little, this little guy figuring himself out in the middle of the country thought like I found music that was only my own and nobody else knew about it. So like I had the ability to like, you know, have something unique that I could identify with. Also, I didn't listen to a lot of hip hop at the time. Like the only hip hop album or the only rap album that I had at the time was Cypress Hill's Black Sunday. And I felt like this sounded like enough like that that was like, oh yeah, all these like weird, you know, dark samples and funky bass lines made it. Yeah. I, was, I was telling my friends, I was like, this is like the greatest rap album of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so Very I just strong statement. I just fell in love with it. Um, two, shortly after I bought the cassette, our local radio station, 99.7 The Blitz at the time, had a call-in <laughs> show uh, at 9 o'clock, and it was called Choose It or Lose It. And it was basically like TRL before TRL, where mm-hmm. they had a few of their most popular songs, and people had to call in and vote for it. And yeah. one of the tracks off the Head P.E.'s debut album is called Serpent Boy. And that oh, was yeah. that was the single that they circulated. So I called in. It was the number one song for two weeks in a row. And I felt like I was helping make that possible. Like I would call in and be like <laughs> voting for it. And I would wait to hear my voice on the radio. It was such oh, a man. It was so awesome. Dude. So as a 15 year old kid in middle America, there's no reason why you wouldn't just love this album. Um, (laughs) (laughs) i mean for you know i mean it's just filled with rage and angst and even if you don't even if you're not in firsthand in touch with your own emotions and feelings at that time uh of life you're there's something that's resonating with you deep down when you hear this music as a 15 year old kid right i mean siobhan my wife and i were talking before we before we started recording this that um (laughs) even our son luke who's nine and is the most mellow chill kid we know um, when Loves a, this when album. A, he, <laughs> nope, won't go that far. <laughs> but like when when uh, you know heavy songs come on or like hip hop comes on, he responds immediately to it. Like there's something in him that just kind of uh, resonates with with this with this style of music. Now we will not expose him to Head PE's debut album, but um, you know I get it. I get why you why you resonated with this and why you felt you know. Like the like, you are the pioneer. You discovered this, and this is your this is your thing. You know what I mean? And, right. And and I love how radio enabled you to feel like you had a hand in putting this band on the map. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. For you sure. You know, that's cool. Now that said, I again, I'm um, you know, this is. I have physical reactions to some of these songs that I'm listening to it. Um, but I was also a lot older in that, in when this, when this music came out. And like we said, during the um, nine inch nails episode last week with the uh, last episode with Amy Lee, um, I was at a time in life when this music was coming out that it was just not resonating with me. So to give you an example of what was happening in 1997 musically in my world um, and song, and, and now these bands, you also, I know as an adult started to resonate with too, but like in 1997, Urban Hymns by The Verve came out, OK Computer by Radiohead, um, Be Here Now by Oasis, you know, and even on on the other end of the spectrum, you had uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death, and Erica Badu's debut album came out, and Missy Elliott's debut came out. You Miss had Education, people, uh, Miss Education of Lauryn Hill. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, a band, spirit, uh, kind of a lesser-known band, Spiritualized, had an album come out that's called Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space, Elliot Smith, you know, there were some 
really diverse and pretty big albums that came out in that context. And so that's where my head was at during this time, right. uh, which all of those that I just that I just mentioned are pretty opposite of, of head PE. And that's not, I'm not saying um, better or worse. Well, maybe I am saying they're better, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I just, this music is so antithetical to who I am that, um, if that, is that, did I say that word right? I have a problem with words on this thing. Antithetical. Um, antithetical. Um, that, uh, I just, I, I, I struggle with it, but I do, I do, I'm happy to go down some, some paths here. If you want to, if you want to shout out some songs. Uh, the only, the only outside of Serpent Boy, the only other song that I would really shout out because this was my favorite song, not just on this album, but for like years after this. And by the way, I, let let me just put some context in it. This is not my favorite band to date. First off, they spell their name in parentheses. It's like, (laughs) it's like, it's bracket H upside down, backwards, lowercase E D parentheses, capital P capital E. Yeah. Like it's very, (laughs) it's very bizarre. Like nothing Nothing really about this band or the brand of the band aged very well. (laughs) But at the time, like, it struck me like a bullseye. It just nailed it. But my favorite song off this album is called Ken 2012. Uh, And maybe this was, like, the early seedings of, like, conspiracy theory me. But, like, this song talks about how the Mayans predicted the end of the world in 2012. And at 2012, uh, the world isn't going to end. It's going to be invaded by aliens. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So head PE was predicting, was helping your conspiracy, your conspiracy theory notions, even at a young age. Yeah, man, they were, I mean, they were 97 woke. It's crazy. Like, wow. Can I give you my exact wording on, on my notes for Ken 2012? Yes. No, I'm no joke. This is exactly what I wrote. Ready? Yep. Ken 2012. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> this is a truly awful song. At first, <laughs> at, <laughs> at first, at first, I could tolerate the rap, but the lyrics are the worst I've ever heard. <laughs> the Me Too, the Me Too movement would have destroyed this band after one listen, and I would have helped. <laughs> Those are my those are my notes on Kenny on Ken on Ken twenty twelve. Um, yeah, so uh, sorry, man. <laughs> agree, agree to disagree. And by the way, um, <laughs> Serpent Boy. Back to your the original song. This the, I guess the single on that album. Um, I, I wrote this, and, and this is interesting. So the Wikipedia entry on this song on on Serpent Boy says this: uh, the band's cross genre mix of styles has been cited by journalists as having a considerable impact on rap rock and new metal, though no, <laughs> though no firsthand accounts of the band influencing bands in either genre exists. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then and the band has denied being a part of any of these styles, identifying more as a punk rock band, utilizing rap vocals in conjunction with other vocal styles. So I found it, I found it interesting that most people would agree, yes, this is rapid rock, new metal, whatever, but um, the, band, the, the band distances themselves from either of those genres. Well, you know, all I can say to that is it's, it's astonishing, like, it's astonishing what the 15-year-old version of yourself finds influential and awesome compared to yourself 20 years later. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Because yeah. I, I just, 
I had to dig back into the archives, you know, um, looking them up on Wikipedia. They've released like 20 albums that I've never even heard of. I mean, I clearly haven't followed the band since. Yeah. And I look back at these guys. And for one, like, I would honestly be like afraid to go to one of their concerts because yeah. they, they are they are one hatchet away from being like ICP. They are just they are <laughs> yeah, that's they, true. they are right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I would be surprised if they haven't played the ICP fest. What's that called? Um, uh, the gathering, Juggalos, the, the gathering. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess let's just kind of roll right into it. I mean, you, you, I made you listen to this cover to cover. Give yeah. Give me uh, give me your take. So uh, I mean, again, this is music that does not resonate with me at all. There were moments where I could. Um, where I could tolerate some of the music, and, and I get it. And by the way, I also get the musicianship specific to this genre. You have to be pretty pretty talented to play some of these guitar parts and the bass parts, particularly the drums. I mean, it's there's talent there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, some of these guys are good musicians. Um, so there was a couple songs that I thought were, um, you know, that were good. P.O.S., the, t- the, the first track, um, it was an instant flashback of me, of, to that era of, of music. Um, where radio, um, which I was in my early years of, was starting to play this kind of music. And, and, and again, I couldn't quite get my head around it when in the face of, you know, The Verve and Radiohead and Oasis putting out albums, why, why, music, why radio was playing Corn and Limp Bizkit and eventually, I guess, Head P.E. Um, but it, it, it was an instant flashback to that era for me. And then in about halfway through, I started, I started thinking, okay, I'm now at the point where every song's starting to sound the same. Um, but that was a symptom also of the CD era where, you know, people were just throwing out albums that had maybe one or two listenable songs and then the rest was just kind of filler. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt that about this. It was like, okay, this is clearly, they had a, they had a couple of songs that, um, you know, like you said, Serpent Boy, that could probably work. Um, but, and then the rest is just kind of, kind of filler, but that's, that was, that's what was going on at the time. Right. Um, so at, at some point I was just like, oh, okay, now it's all at, at around circus, uh, which is near the end of the album. Um, I, I was, I wrote, you know, now we're in wallpaper land. It's all blending together. Um, it's, it, as I wrote, it's mind blowing how entire albums held up back then. Another reminder of how good you have to be now in order to keep a listener's attention. Right. Um, and, and I think, and I think that holds true. I think, you know, right now when you, there's so much music out there and people have such easy access to it that it's, it's almost impossible to come out with something that has any filler on it. It has to be, either a song that's just massive or an album that's just every single, every single one of them is just compelling enough to listen to. Um, Hey, hey, what were your notes on uh, tired of sleep? Let's see. Let me find it. Oh, tired of sleep. So far, the most tolerable. I like the, I said, I like the Cypress Hill S quality of the rap. I actually, and I said my next sentence, I actually didn't hate this one until about the two ten mark. Where, where it just goes off a cliff in the bridge. Um, it saves itself just before losing me. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick before I get your final analysis, um, one, one of the things that's interesting, you mentioned just kind of like uh, the state of music then and, and um, you know, the, how, how hard it was to fill up an album back then and, and how hard an artist has to work to to, um, you know, keep a listener's attention now, but like not only, not only just the genre exploration that was taking place in the late nineties, particularly in the rock world. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
now let's not forget on the pop side it was all boy bands so like don't come, yeah true. don't don't come at me pop fans with like oh you, you were in a better situation because that stuff didn't age well either um correct but like not outside of the genre exploration that was taking place the technology exploration was really interesting too because they didn't really do anything that i think set things up for how people would consume albums or interact with or engage with artists but they were just trying things and one of the things that i thought was really cool was head pe's second album broke uh i actually bought the cd by this time i had a cd player and mm-hmm. it also had a hidden track, but the hidden track wasn't on the album. It was on the band's website. And oh. you had to have a secret code that you put together from the linear notes uh, or the liner notes on what, uh, what it might be. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't find it. So I, when they toured through Columbus at the time, I went to one of their shows waited around to meet the band afterwards and asked the lead singer, like, what the hell's the thing so I could unlock the song. But I thought that that was so cool that, yeah. you know, I, I, I got from, from the band access to one more of their tracks that nobody else had access to. And I just yeah, loved that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. No, that's super cool. And I think if you look back that, back then during that time, the internet was still a fairly emerging um, proposition, you know, a few, relative, you know, it's a, it was a few years old and people were just kind of discovering it and, and making use of it. And it is pretty awesome how artists back then would, were a little bit more forward thinking and using technology to their advantage to connect. It was the early days, right, of connecting with your fans via via technology now of course with social media being what it is that's that that's the current version of that and um i don't know i think i i agree i think that's really cool how um you know technology not only with the internet also but then you know they use they brought in turntables and and there's always that obligatory like scratch going into a song that wicka wicka and then (laughs) and then the song starts um yeah i think that's cool and i think i think it's um it's interesting i'm curious i'm trying to put in my mind as i'm saying this you know who's doing that now who's who's really kind of um pushing the boundaries of genre and and genre blending um uh nothing i'm sure there i'm sure i could think about it and name a few but nothing to my mind is happening are you are you thinking of any not particularly but i think that would just kind of expose (laughs) right now my um my kind of laser focus on the things that I like rather than like the willingness to, to go out and Hmm. and try other things. I think honestly, most of the exploration is probably taking, uh, taking place in hip hop, you know, like, uh, and, and, and I can't really speak too eloquently about like the, the history and evolution of that, but you can, you can definitely see over the past six years, like a new sound shifting the landscape to where, you know, you've got Migos future and Drake, uh, really changing the sound of hip hop from a production standpoint to a rhyme scheme standpoint, all the way to like influencing like Eminem's new album. Like some of his new songs are different to sound more like <laughs> what everybody mm-hmm. else is doing because he knows that if he wants to have any chance of being successful, that's he's got to sound a little bit like that. So I think that yeah. it's definitely evident in that genre. Um, but yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure that there are others. Yeah. Hey, by the way, quick side note. Um, now that you've had a minute to live with the new Eminem album and read, uh, presumably read some of the reviews and stuff, are, are you still standing by the initial, this is incredible, which I, which I did too. I had the same reaction you did. What are you, what are you thinking? Absolutely. I mean, somebody else's opinion of it or like their reaction to it 
isn't going to change what I thought when I listened to it the first like four times in a row back to back, which I totally did. Um, I didn't hate revival, uh, the way that everybody else did, but I just, you know, I'll always kind of like Eminem and his new album sounds more like just more Eminem. So I'm, I'm fine with it. And I still think it holds up. I think that people, I think it's just one of those situations where he's not young. He doesn't have anything really, uh, relevant to say as far as like figuring himself out or rebelling. I think people, now just look at him as like an old man yelling from his lawn <laughs> rather, right. ra- rather right. than like being a, a cultural leader. So yes. I think that, that that's more the thing. Like it's, it's easy to kind of make fun of the old guy at this point, but I still mm. think he's like one of the best at what he does. And I think yeah. he'll always be that. So I think his album's fine. And by the way, I think all of the ridicule about him is also hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I, I can just as easily like laugh along with that stuff too. But now, nah, I mean, the album's great. Kamikaze's great. Cool. Yeah, I, I think I still think he's one of the best in terms of delivery. The speed at which he can rhyme is shocking to me, and actually say something that's that means something. Um, even though I think my only my issue with him as a you know as a middle aged man is it's hard. It, and I've said this before about other other artists, other successful artists in other genres, it's really hard for me to um, buy into the the anger at, at this at, at his age. We, Eminem and I, we've said this before on this podcast, Eminem and I share the same birthday yeah, and birth gonna, year. We're I was going to say... same year. I was going to say, the like, same birthday. A, a middle-aged man, like, you are literally born on the same day as Marshall Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Me, him, and Evil Knievel. Uh, except for Evil Knievel's uh, 20 years older, but um, or more. So, yeah, I think it's hard for me to buy into uh, what feels at times like false rage. Um, but, but who you know, he's still he's still really good at, at what he does, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you. I think some of the some of the criticism has been super funny. So real quick, just to kind of put a ribbon on this, <clears throat> you said that uh, you were familiar with this band, Head P.E., before I, I submitted the challenge. How did you how did you become aware of these guys? Because I was, um, like I said, I was in the early stages of my radio career in Atlanta, and um, Head P.E. was on the label Jive Records, which yep. weirdly is the same same label as like Britney and In Sync in those super pop bands. They signed, <laughs> so they signed this they signed this band to try to they wanted to have a piece of the new metal craze that was going on, um, and so I remember. Um, the the representatives from Jive Records um, wanted to get us to play the the music, um, but when there's there was so much of that coming out at the same time that there was only really room for a couple of them, and you wanted to play like the ones who are at the top of their game. So you you the, you know, the radio station would play like like we mentioned earlier, like Limp Bizkit and Corn and the big big acts of that genre. Um, but to to kind of do do our due diligence, we would go to shows with the radio reps. They would want the the um, they would want the people at the radio station to come out to see shows so that they could show you how good their artists were and how big their following is, and therefore you should play it on your radio station. Now, I wasn't the music director at the time when Head PE was coming out. Yeah. I was sort of in the periphery, but I was still I would still go to the shows with these radio reps. And so I went to the Masquerade in Atlanta and saw Head PE play. I think it was probably nineteen. 99 or 2000 maybe second I would probably second or third album 
And um, it was what it was exactly what you would expect, but it, it was exactly what you experienced. But I wasn't fifteen in in, in middle school, you know, or high school. I was um, <laughs> considerably older, and just it just didn't. It, I, I didn't feel it, especially in the context of all the other stuff that the radio station was playing. It just didn't make sense at the time. So yeah, I was familiar. I've seen them live. Um, they were kind of seen as second tier to the to the new metal craze that was happening. Right. In Nineteen. Yeah back then it's crazy because they almost have like the opposite effect of the bands that i actually really like and carry with me forever in that like a lot of a lot of the bands when we talk about this with radiohead all the time but bands where i'll listen to them and i'll be like not quite sure what this is but you know the more that i'm exposed to it the more that i just think about it or sing the songs in my head the more i connect with it and the opposite was true with head PE or like static X and all this stuff. I was like, this is incredible. And I just absolutely (laughs) freaked out and loved it. And then very quickly kind of started falling out of love with it. (laughs) Oh wow. If you've ever, if you've ever seen static X, like it's, it's, ah, gosh, man, it's such a weird, it was such a weird carnival circus that toured through town. Like he's, he's got his hair, like just hair sprayed out to this huge giant spiky Afro and like a three mm. foot long braided goatee. And you're just like, what is this crazy wildness? Like, I just want to be here forever. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's like being on a sugar high that you just crash hard from. And, right. uh, it, and I, uh, I eventually crash and burned on this. Yeah. And when you went back to listen to it in preparation for this uh, podcast, what, what did you feel? Obviously it doesn't hold up in terms of genre, but what about just like, what did it take you back and did it, did it bring back a flood of memories was the production how how did that hold up for you? Like, what were your what were your thoughts going back for this album and for this sound? I still think this is great. I would mm. not put this on and just listen to this now. <laughs> but like when I when I'm listening to Serpent Boy or Ken Twenty Twelve or Tired of Sleep, I'm like, yeah, man, this this is my shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just okay. like I, I'll, I'll go back and the same way is like. This, the same way, like, I'll go back and I'll listen to Cypress Hill's Black Sunday, and that whole album is about smoking weed in a variety of different ways. Like, that's the okay. whole album. That's it. Yeah. And so that's difficult for me to, like, put on when the kids are, like, just running around or whatever, but it still gets me hyped up. Because, you know? Yeah. So there is, like, there is a connective point. I'll still jokingly put on Limp Biscuit, but, like, not jokingly still get really hyped from it. <laughs> you know? But yeah. those, those, yeah. those moments are rare. Uh, but yeah. so, yeah, I think it holds up for what it is, but it is certainly not music that I will go to um, and and reconnect with a younger per- version of myself or or uh, try to get into a particular mood. No, I, I mean, I kind of leave it on the shelf. I won't take it off the shelf, but I'll leave it on the shelf. Yeah. OK. I think I ask because I think it's interesting, you know, some of the best albums ever were you can't you can't really put a timestamp on them like you can't listen to uh some of these classic albums and um and and identify the year or the time that it came from because they're just kind of timeless yeah and that's kind of the beauty of like i think about like tom petty's wildflowers album you yeah. can't really you don't you don't hear that and think oh yeah that was 1994 you know it could have been any time um even like i went back when i was preparing for this and was listening to some of the albums that came out that same that same year and one of my favorite bands oasis put out be here now and I went back to listen to it, and it's good, and some of the songs are good, but the production sounds super dated. It yeah. sounds really just kind of, you know, it sounds like a time. For sure. Um, you know, whereas, like, some of their other, like, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and um, and uh, um, 
I'm going blank on the on their first album, but um, on the on the title, um, they just sound timeless. They sound like uh, you know albums that could have come out today or albums that could have come out 20 years ago. You know? Yeah, I mean, like any any band that has any metal band that has like a song that starts with a turntable scratch or has like back, yeah. backwards or upside down letters <laughs> does not yeah. does not hold up as like a timeless classic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely maybe was the name of uh, Oasis's debut album, sorry. Um, um so I guess one last thing <clears throat> since since this was a punishment album, can you answer me this? Did you yeah. hate every second of this? I did. Um <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I was pretty it was hard that was a hard a hard assignment i i did it though and um it made me it made me um it made me wish i had listened to the fragile mm, <laughs> that had, that's it um so mission accomplished on your end and uh and hopefully we won't have to ever do this again it's like when you catch your kids smoking a cigarette and you make them smoke the whole pack <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly i'll never smoke again yeah totally right well, yeah. thanks for uh, thanks for committing to it and getting through it, man. I uh, I'm glad that you have got to experience uh, something that was so important to me so long ago. Yeah, man. My uh, I won't say pleasure, but my uh, my duty. <laughs> well done. Uh, hey, man. Uh, should we get into some quick hits? I'd love it. Jay, what uh, what have you been listening to? So I got a couple of things on today's list. Um, one, the first one I'm going to start with is um, a super group of sorts, although the members of the group aren't necessarily huge, but they kind of came together and created a, a new thing. So there's um, three singer-songwriters in the indie world, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and, and Lucy Dacus. Um, and they came together and formed a little band called Boy Genius and put out an EP Excuse me, and I love it. Uh, the song I'm going to put on the list is called "Bite the Hand." Um, and it's right in my wheelhouse right now. It's great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, first on my list, so nothing that I have today is new. Uh, there's, there's nothing that's come out recently that I'm like, that I feel needs our endorsement, (laughs) but Mm. here's, here's a few things that I was unfamiliar with by artists that I were familiar with. Um, and some are new to me, but the first is an artist, Junius Mavent. Um, the song Mm. is called Neon Experience and it's off an album called Floating Harmonies. Came out, okay. came out in 2016, and when you put this on, it just has like every bit of R&B soul that you would expect to hear out of like a Todd Rungren or an Al Green, like just in that wheelhouse. Oh, wow. But when you look at who this artist actually is, it is a... <laughs> it is a... Like a very fair-skinned, redhead, uh, like... 12 month year round sweater wearing 
uh, <laughs> Icelandic guy <laughs> or, Swed- oh, wow. or Swedish guy, one of the two. But there, he brings he brings the he brings the emotion on it, man. It's uh, I'm excited for you to hear the sound and then realize who this guy is. What's the name? Junius Mavent. Um, I have this next one is this duo from Athens, Georgia. They're married, and um, I don't know. This song just kind of struck me a little bit. It's called "Even If It Kills Me." So next on my list is this uh, rock band out of England. Um, it's a band called the Rolling Stones. And <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. I heard uh, the name. Uh, to be honest with you, I was never a huge Stone guys. I mean, I like I like some of the songs like anybody else would, but never really went beyond the the hits. So yeah. I, I recently got their complete collection from 71 to 2013 and honestly have been kind of listening to it nonstop and have found wow. so many deep cuts that I'd never heard before but just absolutely love. So this is one of them. It's called You Gotta Move. from okay. uh, 71 and it is it sounds like uh like a Robert Johnson Delta Blues um jam it's it's awesome it's real slow driving but it's got mm. a lot of rawness to it and I, I'm a huge fan oh that's awesome I um I, I go through that every now and then I'll go back and dig into some like old Rolling Stones and and I'm reminded of gosh I mean the uh, obviously it goes without saying i mean they're just it's just amazing songwriting and uh you know how they drew from the blues was just was just unbelievable until you get into like 80s era rolling stones it becomes a little little tough but um th- but the early days man wow so good hmm. um my last one my last quick hit is also not brand new um it's not super old though it came out last year and i'm just kind of getting on the train of this new album um it's lcd sound system uh, they put out an album at the end of last year called American Dream, and uh, the song Oh Baby is just a slow jam, and I love it. Been listening to it a lot lately. That's awesome. So I've got three more, and I'll just kind of roll through them. One okay. is an artist we've talked about before, Sufjan Stevens. Uh, this is from a mm-hmm. 2010 EP called All Delighted People. The song is called Enchanting Ghost, and it's just mm. beautiful. It's only that I meant to bring Love and liveliness to your breast on the sea um, I was never a huge singer-songwriter, folk sound but for whatever reason maybe it's my age maybe it's the fourth kid but um yeah i'm all in on it uh beautiful beautiful simple song uh definitely check it out next is an artist i discovered on youtube uh jazz guy i think out of seattle his name's robert glasper and he he recently made headlines 
about a month ago for going on a Houston radio show and talking smack about Lauren Hill, about how she tried to make him audition. <clears throat> and he's like, man, I've won two Grammys. Like, I don't audition. <laughs> uh, wow. And, and okay. that, that hasn't gone over well. But yeah. <laughs> I've, I've gotten almost every single album of his just because I went all in. And again, it's jazz. So, you know, not sure if you're a wheelhouse, but this particular track is a track featuring Yasin Bey. It's off his album Black Radio from 2012. Uh, the song is called Black Radio featuring Yasin Bey. It hits. Great song. Radio, sucker, never play me. Triple shade of black, then my bleach should never fade me. They say he crazy, New York, wisdom in the 80s, killer catch administration, gangster renovation, born of isolation, Asian ill communication, Asian mob. Last track. This is yeah. super random. <laughs> but, okay. you know, a, a bit of an eclectic guy here. So, yeah. This is a Brooklyn based composer. Uh, I think born in 1900. His name's Aaron Copland. Most people are probably familiar who are familiar with this style of music. Um, The song is, or the piece of music, if you would, is called Mm. Danzen Cubano, and it's performed by Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Wow, look at you, culture. Come on, I like man. it. Come on, man. I'm dropping all this head PE knowledge. Look at my quick <laughs> Yeah, you got you to redeem yourself here. I like it. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I was just listening to NPR uh, and <laughs> they... <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. You start dropping all the culture you can now? Like this, this whole, this whole um, album of this particular uh, Copland... Uh, collection of songs pieces of music it feels very you know 1900 americana great west the the western frontier it's and you just can't believe a guy from brooklyn who lived in downtown brooklyn brooklyn heights um, oh wow was able to capture the spirit of the american west so well huh. this this particular song has a latin flair but um i it just resonated with me I, i'm a big fan that's awesome. I like that you're uh, you're you expanded the the lean forward playlist horizons. Sounds good. Yeah, man. Let's see who let's see who picks up on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks for the assignment. Um, hopefully, I'll never have to do that again. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for actually doing it this time. But <laughs> and it was it was fun to kind of put you through the torture chamber, but also uh, deeply embarrassing to admit that this was such a influential <laughs> not not just band, but just j- culture of j- like genre that that defined and formed who I thought I was supposed to be at a pivotal yeah. time of my life. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. And, um, you know, as always, our playlist will be up at leanforwardpodcast.com, both in Apple Music form and Spotify form. And uh, we hopefully will be back sooner rather than later. Right, Jake? Yep. All right. Talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Lean Forward Podcast with Jay Heron and Jacob Gilmore. If you like what you hear, please rate us over in the podcast section at Apple Music. For comments and suggestions, feel free to email us at leanforwardpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.